Well, now it's my privilege to introduce to you uh, one of uh, a friend God has given both Scott and I and, and Laura and Amy, uh, Andrew Hunt and his wife, Bonnie. Um, what a blessing they've been to Scott and I as we go a long ways away from home to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary. Uh, when we got down there, we would have a home-cooked meal. Uh, they invited us into their home uh, many different times. I had the privilege to preach a sermon at the church where uh, he's a pastor. Uh, Andrew's a pastor of a church called Union Baptist Church in Hawesville, Kentucky. It's a church that's been around since 1837, a Southern Baptist church. And uh, Andrew's been there six years and has really, God's used him uh, to revitalize a church that uh, really needed that. And uh, I just want to tell you how I met Andrew. I was uh, in Louisville with my brother. It was the first seminary class I ever took. It was the day I had to hand in the first paper I ever wrote. And we're walking up to the front of the classroom, and there's a table where you lay the papers, and I'm about to lay my paper down, and someone taps me on the shoulder from behind, and he says, dude, you cannot hand that paper in looking like that. <laughs> I didn't know how to format a paper, so he's like, just hang on to that paper. He took me down to the seminary bookstore, got me a style manual to learn how to write a paper. But all week long, I sat next to him, and uh, we became uh, really good friends. And uh, he has, uh, him and Bonnie have five children uh, that are biological children. They've adopted uh, some children, and then they've been done foster care uh, for many children. And I just can't tell you enough... Uh, what a privilege it is to just have him come visit us here in South Dakota. He's a dear friend, and uh, I'm just excited to have our brother uh, preach with us this morning. So, Andrew, love you, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Well, Sam always tells that story, and... Uh, he makes me sound like a saint, but I think in God's providence, it was a blessing for me and Bonnie to get to know uh, he and, and Laura and just their kindness and friendship to us has meant so much and, and been an encouragement to me. I know right about the time I met him, I think was shortly all this was, was starting. And so just to see the excitement that he had for God's work and preaching God's word and, and, uh, starting this church it, it, it was an encouragement to me and and he's been an encouragement all along the way and uh, it is a great privilege to be here this morning it's always a privilege uh, to preach God's word so if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 55 Isaiah 55 at our church we have uh, been preaching through the book of Ephesians but then during the summer took a, a short break from that expositional series and have just looked at some of the invitations 
gospel invitations that we find in Scripture. And to me, this is one of the, the most beautiful uh, invitations that, that we find from the Lord uh, inviting us to come to Him and, and to find satisfaction for our souls. So let's look at this. Isaiah chapter 55. I can tell this is not a Baptist church. I'm used to preaching in Baptist churches because there's no big clock in the back to, to warn the preacher about preaching too long. Uh, so I did see this chair up here though. That's really nice. We don't have any of those either. I'm thinking about getting one of those. But, uh, Isaiah 55, and let's look at beginning at verse number one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here we have, as I mentioned already, a, a beautiful gospel invitation to sinners. And we want to see several things about the gospel from this passage. The first thing that we want to see is that the gospel is a soul-satisfying offer. The gospel is a soul-satisfying offer. We, we see it right here. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What does it mean when he says to those of you who thirst, come and, and have water, come buy wine and milk? What is this expression that he's talking about here? What does it, what does it mean to thirst? Obviously, he's talking about something spiritual here, right? This is not talking about a, a literal physical thirst. There's something spiritual that he's referring to here. And, and if we stop and think about what thirst is, in a natural, uh, in a natural way, what it, what thirst is, I think that that will help us understand what he's talking about spiritually. So what is, what is thirst? Thirst, I think, is in, is something that's innate to us. All people have thirst. Children thirst. Infants, babies. You, you have to teach babies a lot of things. You have to teach them how to talk. You have to teach them how to walk, but you don't have to teach them how to, how to be thirsty. It's natural to them because God's given it to them. It's an innate desire that they have because, because they need water. They need that to, to live. It's, it's something that's intense 
within us. If you go for a, a short a short while without drinking, uh, that that urge, that desire that you have to find something to drink, it becomes an all-consuming kind of desire. You, no matter what else is going on in your life, if you've gone long enough without something to drink, you're going to be looking for water. That's going to become the focus of your life for that moment. It creates this strong desire, this longing within us because God knows we need water to survive. And that's the third thing that we understand about water. It's something that's essential to our life. It's essential to our well-being. Without water, without something to drink, uh, our thirst will eventually lead to physical problems and ultimately to death if we don't have water. So thinking about that, Thinking about that from the natural standpoint, now let's take the and, and think about what the Lord is talking about here, this thirst. What, what is it? The Lord is obviously talking about something spiritual. So when we, when we take those ideas over and talk about spiritual thing, thirst in a spiritual way is an innate, intense longing for some spiritual good that we perceive to be essential to our life and our well-being. Let me say that again. Thirst is an innate, that means it's natural within us. It's an innate, intense longing for some spiritual good that we perceive to be essential for our life and well-being. And I think that's what he's talking about here. We are created with certain longings within our heart. No one has to tell you to have those longings. They're innate. Their desires, their longings that come up within your heart, within your soul, and they're there. And, and, and these are things that you recognize that I need these. I, 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 my life is not complete without, without these things. And as we come to the Word of God, uh, I think we find several things that are innate longings or desires within our heart. One is, is a desire for pardon, a release from our guilt. Many people, I think, go throughout their life and, uh, you know, I've, I've often said that you don't have to teach children to sin, right? They just do it instinctively because we're sinners. I never had to sit my children down and tell them, explain to them sort of how to lie. They just do that all on their own because they're, they're sinners. And, uh, the, the reality is you also don't have to teach your children, uh, to feel guilt. It's something that's innate within us. God has given us a conscience and we need to strengthen that with the Word of God and with discipline with, with our children, right? Uh, but, but all of us instinctively feel, feel guilt. And for many people, uh, that, that, those feelings of guilt are, are overwhelming. Romans chapter 2 tells us that we have a conscience and that our thoughts uh, are either accusing us or excusing us. And many people, many people have a longing. They have a desire. They know that they are sinners. They know that they have uh, disobeyed God. They, they know that they have done things in this life uh, that are not right. And many people go around their, their whole lives longing for a, some kind of release from that guilt. And so they look for it in different ways. But, but the Lord says, come to Him. Come to Me. If you're thirsty, if you desire pardon for your sin, if you understand the guilt that you have before Almighty God for the ways that you have lived, the ways that you have rebelled, don't seek to make up for it. Don't seek to cover over it by being religious. Don't, don't, don't seek to say, well, I've done those bad things. Let me try to do some good things to offset it. If you have a desire to be released from your guilt, come 
Come to Christ. Come to the Lord. If you're thirsty, He says, come to Him. There's also a, a desire or a longing that many of us have, I think, for personal relationship. You know, you look at the world around us, it's amazing. I've got my phone here because we don't have a clock. And so I set it here just so I could try to keep track of time. Uh, but, you know, we walk around with these phones and we've got Messenger and we've got Facebook and we've got Twitter. We've got the world at our hands. And yet by any measure, by, by any kind of statistic or survey, uh, one of the biggest problems in our culture and, and with people all around the world, even with even with all of this instant communication that we have, is that we're lonely. Uh, we, we have a longing and a desire for relationship. And Facebook and Twitter and Messenger, that uh, they cannot satisfy that longing. The, the reason that is, is because we're created to be in relationship with our Lord, with our Creator. Many people are looking for those relationships and, uh, or, or for that longing to be fulfilled in relationships and they run from relationship to relationship and there's no fulfillment. There's no, there's no completeness that comes. The, the thirst is not quenched. Their, their thirst, their hunger is not satisfied in those things. Augustine says, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in Thee. And you know what the Apostle Paul said? In Philippians chapter 3, he said, he laid out all of his religious attainments. And he said, all of that is worthless compared to what? To knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul didn't give up all of his religious attainments just, just for a new ideology, just for a new outlook or a new perspective. He gave all of that up because he met, personally met the risen Lord. So if you have a longing and a desire for that personal relationship, it will be fulfilled in the Lord. Come to Him. We have a desire for, for purity. Uh, many people feel not only the guilt of their sin, but they feel the weight of being enslaved to sin. It's not just that I've messed up in the past and so I feel guilty. The problem is that I continue to mess up. I continue to fall short. And, and I don't I see these shortfalls in my life. I, I see these sins. I see these deficiencies and I want to change them about myself and, and I want to be delivered from those bad things in my life. And yet, no matter how much I set out to change myself, I can't, I cannot do it. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter seven about himself. He said in Romans seven eighteen, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Many of us are well aware with well aware of that reality in our own lives. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Many people see that and there's a longing, a desire to be free from the power of sin. If that's you this morning, the Lord invites you. Everyone who thirsts, come to Him. He will satisfy. He will deliver you. He will free you from your sin. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 6. So the, the Gospel is a soul-satisfying offer. You have longings that are innate to you and there are many other ways that those might work out in your life. I just mentioned a few, but, but 
those things will be uh, find their satisfaction. You will find the fulfillment of those things in the Lord. It is a soul satisfying offer. Secondly, this morning, the gospel is a free offer. The gospel is a wonderfully free offer. Do you see this? Come everyone who thirst. There's no exclusions. There, there are no, this is not an offer for certain classes of people, certain groups of people, certain colors of people, certain races of people, certain people from, from certain areas of the world. This is an offer that is for all people. Come everyone who thirsts. The, you see, the, the only sort of uh, caveat or the, the only restriction on it is that you have to recognize your thirst. If you thirst, come to the Lord. It's a free offer. Come everyone who thirsts. Notice what else he says here. He who has no money, come buy and eat. And then he goes on, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The Gospel is a free offer. It's an offer of God's grace. You know, until you understand and until you get the freeness of salvation, you don't get it. As long as you think that you in some way are contributing, that you in some way are bringing something to the Lord in order to, to procure His favor, to, to incline Him to save you or to bless you, and as long as you're thinking there's anything that you're doing on this side of that, you don't understand the Gospel. He says, come everyone, without money, without, without price, come buy and eat. You know, many people, I think, I think think of the gospel as a subsidy program. And so uh, they think of it like this. Well, I do my best. I do what I can. And, uh, you know, I know I'm going to come up short. I know I'm not going to quite have enough uh, in order to make it to heaven, but I, I, I know I have to do my best to get there. And, and then God's grace will come up and God's grace will kind of make up the difference between where I get and where I need to be. And so I made this much progress and so I need this much grace. But that's not how the Gospel works at all. This is, a, this is an invitation not to people who don't quite have enough. Come if you're just a little bit short. Come to the Lord. No, it's, it's an invitation to, that is, goes out to people who ha, are dead broke. They, they have nothing. You notice this. He who has no money, come by and eat. You know, it seems like one of the only restrictions on this offer is that a person has to recognize that they fit into that category of having nothing. That they have nothing to offer to God. That you see the invitation? Who does it go to? He, he says, you who have no money, come by and eat. You see, so many of us are walking around and we think spiritually we have some capital. Spiritually, we've got a little bit that we can offer to God. But the invitation of the Gospel goes out to those who are dead broke. Grace must be free or it isn't grace. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 11. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The offer is, is a free offer. I think of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that parable in Luke 18 where the, the two men go into the temple to pray? The Pharisee was somebody who thought he had some capital. He thought he had some spiritual money to spend uh, in order to garner God's favor. 
And so he comes and he prays and he lifts his eyes up to heaven and he, he lifts his hands up and thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I'm not like this man. I pray. I fast twice in a week. I do all of this. You see, he's coming to God with money. He's coming seeking to buy his salvation. He's coming seeking to buy or to merit God's favor. And then there is the tax collector who in that day was looked down on a sinner, a tax collector. They were traitors. They, they were dishonest. And he comes into the temple and he bows down and he won't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't list out anything in order to garner God's favor, to get God's blessing or to earn salvation because you know why? He, he recognizes he doesn't have anything to give to God. He doesn't have anything that will bring God's blessing. And you know that Jesus said that man was the one of the two who went down to his house justified. He was the one who ultimately was right with the Lord. He was the one who will ultimately end up in heaven because he came without money and without price. The Gospel is a free offer. This is what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the Kingdom of Heaven. The person who's poor in spirit is a person who recognizes that spiritually they are indigent. They have nothing. They are impoverished. And all they can do is cry out to the Lord for salvation. That's the offer of the Gospel. And isn't it wonderful that God welcomes people who have no money spiritually? Isn't it wonderful that it's a free offer to come? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. What a wonderful thing that the Gospel is free. Isn't it interesting though that you do notice, even though He says, you who have no money, come by and eat. Well, wait a minute, I don't have money. You see, there's still a transaction going on there, isn't there? He says you don't have any money, but come buy and eat. You see, the, the reality is with the Gospel is that there is a price to pay for the Gospel, but it's already been paid. Someone else has paid it. Jesus paid the price for our salvation so that we can come and buy freely. I'm reminded later in Isaiah, and I'm sure you're well aware of Isaiah 53, but Isaiah 53, 5 is just so beautiful, isn't it? Listen to those words. He was pierced for our transgressions. You see, there's that transaction. He's paying the price. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed the gospel is is free to us it is a free offer but it did not come without price jesus pray, paid the price and i notice also that the the gospel here is a wonderfully abundant offer uh it, it is uh he says here everyone who thirsts come to the waters i i joked about this when i preached before because I feel like this is kind of like what Bonnie, my wife, her, her grandmother is like this. Uh, it's kind of the bait and switch. You go to her house and she will ask you and ask you if you want something to eat or something to drink. And and after a while, you just have to finally say, sure, I'll take something. Uh, but once you do that, you know, once you take the drink, it's like, well, let me get you some crackers too. Let me get you some cheese. And, you know, she just keeps bringing more and more out. 
You know, it doesn't matter that you just left Texas Roadhouse and ate a big steak. You, know, you got to eat something. And once you, once you accept the offer, there's just more and more of it. And that's, that's the way that this gospel offer is. It's an abundant, it's free, but it's abundant. If you, if you have thirst, he said, come to the waters. But then he says, come by and eat, come by wine and milk. And if you're hungry, there's food to feed your soul. The gospel has everything that you'll ever need. It's a free offer but it's a bountiful offer as well. There's an abundant supply. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You see, there's the waters of, the, of salvation and then there's the wine and the milk and the bread and, and on and on. He wonderfully gives us all things. Listen, if you're hesitant this morning, if you've been hesitant to believe the Gospel or to come to the Lord, to come to, to Christ, because maybe you think there's some deficiency in you, well, then you're exactly the person who should come to Christ. You are exactly the person who is ready to believe the Gospel and be saved. And I would encourage you to do that this morning. We see next that the Gospel is a specific offer. It's a specific offer. This is not an offer that you can find satisfaction for your soul in any way that you choose. You see, that's what the world is doing. They're going out and they're looking for it in a million different ways. And, and God here is not saying, hey, I'll just, whatever life path you choose, whatever things that you choose to pursue in life, I'll just make sure that you find fulfillment and satisfaction in those. No, that's not the case at all. In verse 2, he says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? There's a specific way that God is going to meet the desires and the needs of your soul. And so he's saying, come, come this way. Come to the provision. Don't search for it in other ways. If I'm thirsty and I'm just, you know, man, I've got to have something to drink. Right, And I go out to the garage and open up a, a bottle of motor oil and start drinking that. That's not going to help me at all. right? I, I'm, my, my thirst is not going to be quenched and I'm ultimately going to damage my, my body. I'm going to damage my, my very existence. And, and so it is with so many in the world. They recognize this longing. They recognize these desires and yet they look to fulfill them in sex or in money or in relationships or in bigger houses or newer cars. And it's like drinking motor oil. It will not satisfy. He says then, why are you looking for satisfaction in all of these other ways? Come to the place where God has promised to meet your needs and to provide for your thirst. And then it's as if he wants to get your attention. He says, listen to me. Why, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. You see three different times he's saying, listen, listen, listen to me. Hear. Come, come. This is where you'll be satisfied. This is where your longings will be met. This is where your thirst will be quenched. Come here. Don't go there. Why, why are you running after these things? Listen to me. It's like I am with, with my children on, on the way up here. And I do this from time to time, right? When you really want them to listen, like, hey, we're going to somebody's house. 
and and they're going to be really nice and invite us in and and take care of us and feed us. You all, listen to me. You need to be good. You need to obey while we're here. You all don't need to act like you're wild and crazy, like you've never been disciplined a day in your life. And, and you know, sometimes when, when you have little kids, they start to zone out after a while, right? And they're like, oh, okay. And they're listening for a minute. And then you come back and you say, hey, are you listening to me? That's what he's doing in this passage here. He's saying, look, there is a soul satisfying offer in the gospel are you going other places don't go over there and he sees your eyes begin to wander over to that car that house or or that relationship and think ah that might be what really brings me satisfaction he said listen to me come to me this is where your soul will be satisfied we see also and i won't get into this for sake of time, but, but this is found in Jesus Christ in verses four and five. Here, here is, I think, a prophecy, a prediction of the Messiah. And this is ultimately fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. He says, I, I made him a witness talking about this son of David. I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. So he's saying this son of David was going to be a leader and a commander of of the people. And we know that's ultimately Jesus Christ. And what does he say? This nation that you did not know, they were not your people. They were not the Israelites. They, They were not the descendants of Abraham, but they will run to you. And so this this offer is that we would run to Christ, the the offer of having your soul satisfied, having the thirst and the longings of your soul satisfied comes and is found as you run to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David. It's found in Him. In Acts 4.12, Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If your soul is longing for these things, for pardon, for purity, for deliverance from sin, for this personal relationship with your Maker, that is to be found in Jesus Christ. Run to Him this morning. But then we see that the Gospel is an urgent offer. It is an urgent offer. So look at verse number 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. This is, this is an interesting statement here. He says to seek the Lord and to call upon Him. And these are words that in and of themselves kind of uh, indicate some urgency, don't they? Seek. This is not as if the Lord is lost and we need to found him, find Him. But, but it, is, uh, it is a persistent kind of determination to, to pursue the Lord. We seek for something. That, that means we're looking for it with intensity and call on the Lord. To call on the Lord. This is the idea of someone who's in need of deliverance. Someone who is in need of salvation or rescue. If you fall into the river and you're, you're, you're drowning, you're calling out, save me! Help me! That's, that's what this is kind of talking about. Seek the Lord. This, this determined kind of pursuit of the Lord and call out to Him. But, but notice... Why, why is this intensity there? Why is there this urgency? Because there's some parameters that have been set, are there not? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Doesn't that indicate to us, doesn't that indicate to us that there is a time in which you might seek the Lord 
and He would not be found? That you might desire to call upon the Lord and, and He would not be near? I think that's the implication, isn't that, of, the, of those verses? If, if you're to seek Him while He may be found. In other words, there, there are times when the Lord allows Himself to be found and you need to seek Him in that moment and not delay it, not put it off. Because if, if you do, there may be a time when He will not be found. A time when you would call out to Him, but He is not near. I think that's the clear implication of it. What, what is this? What is this time that God would not be found when you would call to Him and He... He would not answer. He would not be near. Well, I think the answer to that question is that, that when the judgment of, of God comes, it will be too late to seek Him. When the judgment of God, when God says, this is the point of my judgment on this individual, when that moment comes, it will be too late. God will not be found. And though you may call out to Him, He will not be near. Well, I think this is what Psalm 32 is talking about. Psalm 32, verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Isn't that the same idea that Isaiah is saying here? At a time when you may be found. In other words, there's, there's a time when God won't be found. So seek Him now. Look for Him. Pray to Him now in a time when, you, when He may be found. But he goes on, David does in Psalm 32 to explain what is that time. Psalm 32, verse 6, he says, Surely in the rush, in the flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. In other words, the flood is always depictive in, in the Bible of God's judgment and God's wrath being poured out. And so he's saying, look, when, when the flood of God's judgment comes, it will be too late for your prayers. It will be too late for you to seek for the Lord. It will be too late for you to call on the Lord. Surely in the flood of great waters, your prayers will not reach the Lord. Well, what is this judgment? What is the judgment of God that comes on us and once that judgment comes, it's too late to seek for Him or too late to call on Him? Well, the first obvious answer to that is death. The wages of sin is death. God's judgment is brought to us in, in death. Romans 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. God's judgment comes on us in death. And don't you know there have been plenty of people who have heard the Gospel invitation and they have resisted and they have said, I'll think about it another time. I will linger. I will, I will maybe come back to it. I'll talk to the preacher later. I'll, I'll think about this maybe when I'm older. And they have delayed responding to the Gospel only for God's judgment of death to come upon them. And at that moment, it was too late. Seek the Lord while He may be found. You know, I think of the rich man in, in the Gospels, the parable that Jesus says. He's, he's thinking about how he's going to take have ease and how he's going to enjoy his retirement, how he's got plenty of time left. And what, is, what does the Lord say to him? He says, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. Death is coming. And so it is with many of us. We don't know. We're not guaranteed another breath. Do you know you may not make it home today? That hearing this Gospel invitation this morning may be the last opportunity before God's judgment comes upon you in, in the form of death. You could not make it home today. 
Seek the Lord now while He's near. Call upon Him while He's near. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Don't delay because once God's judgment comes, it will be too late. And we know not the time in which God's judgment will come. The other kind of judgment that the, the other time that judgment comes is the return of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, it will be too late. And just as with death, we know not the hour, we know not the time when the Son of Man will come. We're not guaranteed anything in terms of living out our life and then and then riding off into the sunset. The Lord could return at any moment. That's what Jesus taught. You don't know when the Son of Man is coming. So be prepared. Be ready. In fact, Jesus warned. He said, like it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be in the end. What was going on in the days of Noah? Everybody was laughing at Noah thinking, what an idiot for building an ark. Uh, talking about God's judgment. And so Jesus says they were eating and marrying. They were being given in marriage. They were just going on, in other words, with their everyday life as if, as if they could live forever. As if it was just going to continue forever and ever. They, they were just pursuing the everyday, ordinary things of life. And then judgment came. And it was too late for them. And Jesus said, that's what it's going to be like at the second coming. You're going to be going to a wedding Saturday. You're going to be thinking about, you know, your wife's birthday or, or your, your, your kid's graduation. You're going to be thinking about what's coming up on your vacation. You're going to be thinking about Christmas. You're going to be thinking about all the details of life and your calendar and your next day and the next week and the next month. And you're just going to be living like that. And then the Son of Man will return. And at that moment, God's judgment will come on all those who have not believed in Christ. It will be too late. We get a picture of that in two different places in the book of Revelation. For many people, the return of Jesus Christ will not be a, a glad time of rejoicing. It will be a time of judgment. And they will wail. The nations will wail because of Him. And they will cry for the rocks to fall on them. And many of those people perhaps heard the Gospel. They had opportunity to believe. There, there was a time when the Lord was near. There was a time when the Lord would have been found had they sought Him. And they did not. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. There's a third time that God's judgment comes. It's before death. It's before the return of Jesus Christ. God may bring a form of judgment on you in this life by giving you over to your sin and your blindness. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm here in church and I'm hearing the gospel preach and I'm going to, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm ready at this moment to believe. I'm not sure that I'm ready to give over my life to Christ and to follow him and to give up my sin and to turn from it. I'm not sure that I'm ready, but you know what? There'll be next Sunday and there'll be next Sunday and I'll hear the gospel again and I'll be able to respond at that time, you know, maybe a little bit down the road, but but one of the things that we see in Scripture is that sometimes God gives people over to their blindness. Sometimes people reject the Lord and they reject the Lord and they hear the Gospel and they hear the invitation over and over again and they continue to reject it. And sometimes in that moment, God says, alright, that's it. There's, there's no more opportunity. This person is done. They've heard the Gospel. They've had the opportunity and He delivers them over to their blindness. We see this. We won't read Isaiah 6, 
verses 8 to 10, but that was actually Isaiah's mission. Isaiah was a prophet and he said, go to this people. They have rejected me over and over and over. They have not listened. You're going to go to them and they're going to have eyes that will not see and they are going to have ears that will not hear. And ultimately, that was fulfilled, I think, definitely in the ministry of Christ. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 35. John 12, 35. The, the people, many of the people in, in Jesus' day were people who had been given over by God to their blindness. Listen to these words. They are chilling. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. I think that's what he's saying, essentially what I'm saying. You have opportunity. Here's the light. Believe now while while it's here, lest darkness overtake you. He goes on to say, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the Word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So they didn't believe. Jesus did all of these miracles. He was teaching like nobody had ever taught before. He was doing miracles and signs that no one like no one had ever done. And yet, despite all of that, they did not believe. And John says here, the reason they didn't believe was so that the words of Isaiah would be fulfilled. I think the words that I was just referring to in Isaiah 6, 8-10, he goes on to give that citation. He says, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, listen to this. Now these are those, those chilling words I was talking about. Therefore, they could not believe. Now He said before they did not believe. They, they didn't believe, though He did all of these signs, though He did all of these miracles. But now He says, therefore, they could not believe it was an impossibility for them in that moment to believe he goes on to say for again isaiah said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and i would heal them isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him god's judgment came upon those people and they could not believe. He gave them over to their blindness. They had rejected and rejected and rejected. They had stopped their ears up for so long that He had finally said, alright, if that's what you want, this is what you've got. And He brought judgment on them. And so we need to believe while we have the opportunity. We need to seek the Lord. Don't assume that you always be in the same state of mind. Don't, don't assume that the Gospel will always be clear to you. Don't assume that in another year or two years or ten years down the road that everything will look the same. That you'll have the same conviction of your sin. That you'll have the same clarity in terms of understanding the Gospel. Don't assume that because if you continue to reject the Gospel, God may give you over in His judgment to your blindness. So seek the Lord while He may be found. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And what the writer of Hebrews says, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Look, if you hear the Gospel and, it, and it's clear to you and you see your need and you have the conviction of your sins, do not delay it. Call on the Lord 
and be saved. The Gospel also is a life-changing offer. And we won't spend a lot of time here, but it is a life-changing offer. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Here, here it is a call then to repentance. So many in our day in the Gospel invitation have left out the call to repentance. But the reality is you cannot come to Christ. You cannot come to the Lord. You cannot come to the water while you remain in your sin. You, you must forsake your sin. It's a logical necessity in order to come to the Lord. And then we see that the Gospel is a sure offer. It's a certain offer. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. And then listen to these words. For he will abundantly pardon. It's a certain offer. If you will seek the Lord, if you will come to the Lord, if you will call out to Him for salvation, He will abundantly pardon your sin. There's no doubt about it. There's no question. It's guaranteed. If you will call upon Him, He will answer. And I like here, it doesn't just say He will pardon. He will abundantly pardon your sins. I'm reminded of Isaiah 43.25, I, I am He who blots out your transgression for My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If you're carrying the weight and the guilt of your sin, come to the Lord today and He promises that He will pardon you. So this morning, I want to invite you to take this free offer of the Gospel. I want to invite you to forsake your thoughts and your ways, your sin, your unbelief, and I want to invite you to run to Christ. Even though you have nothing to earn uh, salvation, even though you have nothing to purchase your forgiveness, the price has already been paid. Run to Christ this morning while you still have time. Seek Him while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning, and I, I just want to pray right now because I have no doubt in my mind that there are some here who have heard the Gospel over and over again. I thank You for Sam and this faithful church and and and, and Dave and the pastors here, Lord, uh, and Scott, that so faithfully proclaim Your Word and so faithfully proclaim the Gospel. And yet I know there are some here who have continued to reject it. I pray, Lord, that You would draw them. I'm inviting sinners to come to You this morning, and I, I know what Your Word says, that no one will come and no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws them, unless You, Lord, draw them. So I pray this morning that You would draw them. I pray that You would open their eyes. I pray that You would unstop their ears and that You would cause them to run, to flee to Christ that they might be saved. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.